man, they're really handy. But he left it on an international flight. But what's weird is he tracked them for five months as the AirPods was apparently traveling around the world. And finally, when he realized they landed somewhere, uh, this guy spent like $3,000 to travel to Qatar uh, to use Bluetooth to walk from door to door in an apartment building so he could find them. When asked, why didn't you just buy some new AirPods? He said, I wanted the adventure of tracking these down. Okay, this is clearly a man who has time and money to waste. So maybe you don't relate. Uh, but it's also clear, man, he's hungry to be on some kind of mission. And that is something that God has put in us. He's putting us to not just, okay, just go wake up every day, but to have a mission, to have a purpose. There's something deep within us that God has put in our DNA because we are designed for mission. We're designed for a purpose bigger than ourselves. So that desire for adventure, that comes from Jesus. And followers of Jesus, we get awakened to that deep soul desire. We need that waking up just like that worship songs. And find that hunger for mission uh, to be most satisfied being an ambassador of Jesus in a very broken world. I don't know if you've been reading the news at all. The news is hard to take every week. Uh, maybe you don't even have to go to news around the world. Just stuff going on in your own life. I, as well as uh, most people, when, when we just watch the news, there's some version of like, man, look at what the world is coming to. Sigh. You know, I'm guilty of that. But I'm reminded through this sermon that I prepared with Pastor Chris that the disciples of Jesus were supposed to have a completely different perspective. We're, that is true, what's happening in the world. We're supposed to be grounded in that reality, but we're supposed to be grounded in two realities as followers of Jesus. That means, right, followers of Jesus, if we are giving ourselves to be saturated in his word, committed to knowing and obeying his word, and interacting with the pain of this world, we should interact with it very differently than the world does. Followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be about hope, wisdom, love, Power, a courage to engage, not escape, but stand against the evil and the brokenness of this world. We're not supposed to be a people of fear and despair. We want to be grounded in reality, of course, like I said, but grounded in two realities. The reality of the kingdom that guides us into the reality of the world. So we stand, as we read scripture every week, this isn't just some routine just because we always do it. It's a conviction to be grounded in kingdom reality. So that we hear the word and we walk out here ready to demonstrate and proclaim, not look what the world has come to, but rather look what has come into the world. So in that spirit with hunger and conviction in our hearts, if you are able if you could please stand to honor the reading of God's word. This is God's word taken from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. Uh, reading from the NIV. 
Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave that town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you made us for mission. You made us with purpose. We want to align with that right now. So, Father, uh, whatever we're bringing right now, uh, burdens, uh, concerns, oh God, real legitimate ones, Father. But knowing that you are the king and we want to entrust that into your hands. We want to acknowledge you are here. And, Father, there's a different reality that you want us to open our eyes to. I pray that we would hear you today. And not just hear you, they wouldn't just be words, but Father, you'd help those words to really hit, help us to see your kingdom. Help us to experience it, your nearness, even today, now. So that we could go out and let others know that you have come near. And that's not just talk, but that's real, making changes in our world. Thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So we see this mission of God that God has given us to, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's to proclaim as well as to demonstrate the good news. So we talked about that. You saw as we read that, that should be a familiar passage. You see it's not just talking about the kingdom. It's showing that it's real. And what's repeated there is healing. It's not just a word, but it comes with some real action. So proclaiming the kingdom of God, if we just even look at that, proclaiming that the king has come, all demons, all of our sin, he has conquered that. Proclaiming that the kingdom of God in Jesus has come near to walk with us through our pain, to give us victory over the struggles. We have to open up our mouths and actually talk about Jesus. And it, it's difficult to do that because it seems like nobody seems to respect Jesus and nobody wants to listen about Jesus. But things are not what they seem just from our eyes. There's two realities once again. There's a reality that's governed by Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 10 too, look, you, you may look out, but when I look out, I see a harvest. I see so many fruit. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. And if Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, then that is the truth. Just last week at New Life, we heard testimonies of young people and adults who didn't have a relationship with Jesus before, but they have experienced life and hope as a result of giving themselves to Jesus. There are multiple people who maybe didn't come up here on stage, but I'm hearing that they have seen and they have heard and I have seen and I have heard them open themselves up to Jesus for the first time this month. Uh, there are people that are hungry for Jesus. So today we 
want to focus on the second part of what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we talked about proclaiming. Today, we're going to talk about how do we demonstrate the nearness of the kingdom of God. So, as we said, Jesus is emphasizing as he's sending people out to proclaim a message. But you see in this passage, repeated multiple times, it comes with healing. So it's not just some philosophy that he wants us to preach. Jesus is trying to show us he's living and he's a reality. A reality that we touch and feel and experience. And many people, they need to experience the closeness of Jesus in order to surrender to him as their king. Oftentimes, isn't it true that we need miracles to help validate the message? The message doesn't make sense to us like, show me, show me that this is real. Thus, to say yes to be his ambassador, we are called not only to speak, but to demonstrate God's nearness. Right? And in verse 1, it's of our focus text. Jesus gives the first missionaries, the first ambassadors, the power, the authority to cast out all demons and to what? Heal all diseases. You see this in verse 6 and in verse 2 where they're healing. The repetition speaks to the importance of healing. I'm hoping you're catching that in demonstrating that the kingdom is near. And in the next chapter, just in case we miss it, Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72. So you can't say it was, oh, you know that authority to um, cast out demons and heal? That was only for the 12 special. No, he gave that to the 72. And even beyond that, in the Great Commission, he says, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. This is included in that. So it's pretty crazy, you know. You get a look at your neighbor and says, cast out demons and heal. I have the authority to cast out demons and heal. Yes, you, you could do that. In Jesus, I have the authority to cast out demons and heal. All right. And the demons, why are we talking about demons? Demons, they affect the whole person, the mind, the emotional being, the souls and the bodies. So there's a great emphasis on the gospel. It's, it's not just physical healing. It's healing of all kinds. It is a holistic, what we call just a full holistic healing. This gospel that we talk about, it is holistic. It starts with individuals, yes, but that healing spreads to relationships within blood societies, and it's meant to impact society. We're going to come back to the importance of healing ministry specifically. But first, I want to remind us that these instructions given to the 12, to go ahead of him to all the villages, telling people about the kingdom of God, driving out demons and healing the sick, that's right in the flow. That's not some weird thing that happens in Luke. It, it's right in the flow of the gospel of Luke. It carries on into the second book he wrote, Acts. Essentially, by chapter 9, Jesus is really saying in this passage that we just read, okay, you've been walking with me. You learned my way, my purpose, my mission. Now you go. You do it. Represent all that you've heard and seen from me. So then we got to back out. Um, what has Jesus been showing them? So rather than go through all the book of Luke, right, the first and foundational mission statement of Jesus recorded in the book of Luke is found in Luke 4. When Jesus starts his public teaching ministry in his hometown, that's where he starts. He walks into his neighborhood synagogue or church where he and his family grew up. He starts there. 
But this day is different because he's no longer just, you know, Joseph and Mary's son. He's been baptized. He's spent 40 days fasting and defeating the devil in the wilderness. And now is game time. So what is it that he says? It's game time. It is time for him to begin the major purpose of his life on earth. His mission statement. You're going to find it in Luke 4, verses 18 through 21. So Luke 4, verses 18 through 21. We see Jesus goes to the front of his church, picks up a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he reads these words. This is a prophecy. Starting from verse 18 in chapter 4, Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim, there it is, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Jesus. And Jesus began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Did you notice in that passage, three times he says proclaim, right? It's, it's a continuation of this idea. I'm here to proclaim good news. Jesus' followers were supposed to proclaim good news. But you see integrated completely, he, he fleshes it out more, completely integrated into the proclaiming and the talking about the kingdom is the demonstration of that kingdom in good news. You cannot miss it. You see in there care for the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. We see in Jesus' ministry that the good news of his kingdom coming is not just talk. But it's backed up with action. And it's not only spiritual, but physical. Uh, I've, I've sat with disciplers, other people, discipling other people in the church. Well, they're like, oh, this, that passage, uh, Jesus is just talking about spiritually setting people free. Now, certainly it includes that. But there's actually physical healing and setting free that he does in his ministry. If you look in the book of Acts, the poor physically are being fed with multiplied bread and fish later in Luke chapter 9, which we had started with. People are physically released from prison. We see this later in the book of Acts, also written by Luke. All the apostles, that means all the 12, they got caught up with the authorities, but they were freed from jail in Acts 5. It says, like, God just opened the prison doors. They are able to walk out. Paul and Silas, something similar happens to them in Acts 16. People physically receive sight. You can't read the Gospels and not see that. It's not just spiritual. They physically, blind, physically can see. You see this in Luke 7. You see it in Luke 18. People physically are set free from spiritual and physical oppression. Uh, in, you see uh, Jesus exercising demons throughout the book of Luke. Like people so oppressed by demons, they're like scratching themselves and making themselves bleed. Uh, also, it's not just in that spiritual realm, but also he's setting people free from the oppression of the religious leaders of the time. who are telling them, you got to follow these, all these 
hypocritical rules that even they weren't following. And Jesus says, I'm coming to break off those yokes. And it's not just individual healing that we see in Jesus' ministry. We see social healing as well. In Luke 8, a bleeding woman is restored, not just healed from her bleeding, but she's restored in the eyes of the community. Jesus says, daughter, you're healed. And he says that to everybody. He gets everybody's attention for that. Uh, You see also uh, in Luke 5, in Luke 17, those, uh, especially in that society with skin diseases, they're called lepers. They weren't even allowed to be a part of the community. But Jesus healed them and restored them and said, go back to the community. Tell them what God has done for you. Okay, why am I talking about all this? Because the kingdom of God is not just talk. It does stuff in this world. It is not just physical, uh, spiritual. It is physical. we got to flip our expectations a little bit. It is not just for the Bible times. Some, if we look at our context in America, some on maybe the political right, they would focus only on the spiritual work of God, divorced from the work of real impact on people's conditions in life. So if we're going about the work of saving individual souls, but ignoring poverty and oppression in society, that is a misrepresentation of the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Uh, There's those on the left, politically, that would focus only on the systemic changes, but ignoring the sickness that is in our hearts. To fight for societal justice, that is good. But to neglect our own sin, that leaves people ultimately spiritually and eternally sick. And then many Christians in America, whether you're on the left or the right, we're not partnering with the Holy Spirit. We're trying to do everything just in our own strength. Maybe we're just giving teaching, like mental teachings about Jesus. But then... We're not doing anything to alleviate the physical suffering. Or, hey, we're trying to do all these things, um, feed people, right, do uh, works in which, right, uh, trying to change those systems, but then we're not inviting God's power into that. Like, if you look at Jesus, he didn't just talk to people. When, when he spoke words, people were healed physically. Uh, When he was feeding people, he didn't just make a whole bunch of sandwiches, right? He multiplied it in the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just get people out of prison through the legal system. He literally opened the doors and helped them walk out. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people receiving healing through the medical system or people receiving justice through the legal system is wrong. No, we celebrate all modes of healing. And wholeness as gifts from God. But my point is, even, did you know, even people who reject Jesus, they can also bring justice, food, and healing in some cases. So what makes us any different? We partner with folks who are in these efforts, but we ought to be a revolutionary movement that's centered in prayer and power. So that people can see and experience the nearness of Jesus. The gospel of Luke, it challenges all people. A a quick word about Jesus and systemic oppression. Now, we've spoken a lot about this in depth, so I'm not going to go too much into it. You can look it up in the archives if you want more. But I just want to be clear. The ministry of Jesus 
the way that he goes about it, it's an inside-out and bottom-up approach. It doesn't focus on the top-down. The focus is empowering people at the bottom. It does not uh, just say, hey, you all need to fix things. It cleans up the church first. That's why Jesus has some really challenging things to say to the church leaders. It's inside out. The church is supposed to be a distinct system that is planted right in the midst of social, political, economic, value-based systems. To shine the light of the kingdom, to influence and mold and push back evil. The church is supposed to be distinct, different. But it's to stay distinct. It's to communicate that the only place we put our ultimate hope is in King Jesus and his systems. The kingdom of God. Jesus' followers were not supposed to have political parties be our savior. Or our idols and de demonize anyone who disagrees with us. That's not the kingdom. Now, as we are more passionately grow as informed, integrated, powerful ambassadors of Jesus, then we can engage to bring kingdom change into all systems. Building a discipleship movement takes time. But it is the necessary time, it's the necessary time to actually change the values that govern the system. I'll say that again. Building a discipleship movement is not quick. It takes time. But it's the necessary time to actually change the values that govern the system. Uh, where do we see this working out in history? One big one is the evil of slavery. That needs to be approached by so many different levels. And God is, works in the systems as well. You've heard, maybe or not, of a man named William Wilberforce. He was a believer, but in prayer and in his worship life, he inserted himself in the midst of government. And the work he did was a testimony. He was very much persecuted as a government official because he wanted to abolish slavery, owning people. Yet he was the most joyful and the most gracious. A history recounts that he persevered for 40 years to eliminate the slave trade, at least in England, and possession of slaves. And he did that in prayer and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not becoming a mean, power-hungry politician. He lived in an era, we got to look, it wasn't just a single individual. He lived in an era where the church was crying out for God. It was a time of great revival. Where John Wesley and what's called the Moravian student movement came out of these revivals of the Holy Spirit. He was part of that generation. So we know that the church was involved. So while Wilberforce was trying to make laws, making buying people as slaves illegal, there are some Christians, believe it or not, selling themselves into slavery to live, work, and suffer with and minister to the slaves. And then we also, I don't know if you knew this, but Harriet Tubman, you, you see her face and stuff, I'm like, oh, she's part of the Underground Railroad. Did you know she listened to God for directions of where to turn? <laughs> like quite literally, if you follow her story, she was helping slaves escape to this Underground Railroad. And quite literally, she said, God, tell me which way to go with these people, right? And she would turn left or right, and she was able to flee. Uh, free many from slavery. So you see at every level there's people working in the kingdom of God, 
working all together. It's not just one or the other. Does that make sense? You need power to change anything. I, I realize that. Political power, financial power, and Jesus will use and redeem all that. But he is most interested in building people power. Because that is the only way to build lasting change. We have to be invested in the trenches, in the people that God has put around us. Okay, so how do we demonstrate that the good news is real? Let's, let's, bring, it, let's bring it back down here. How do we demonstrate that God is real through healing? How do we do that? So we're going to come back to the heart of missional living right here, being an ambassador of healing in Jesus to our world. What does that look like? The main purpose of our lives is to receive the healing of Jesus and to give it to others. We're to keep receiving that healing and giving it to others. But how? How do we help people into healing? I mean, physical healing, that, that sounds, that's crazy. That's just for special people, right? No, not to Jesus. We, we got to flip our mentality. Okay. Because physically, why physical healing? I think physical healing has a way of kind of opening us up to the nearness of God. How many of us have experienced or witnessed some sort of physical healing and that was, that really helped you sense God was near? How many of you have experienced that? Okay, look around in this room. That's just, it's half the people and Knowing some of your stories that didn't raise your hand, there's healing that I know about. There's something about when God breaks through in, the, in that physical healing that we're like, whoa, okay, God showed up. There's something about that. So how do we become people who pray for physical healing? We persevere in praying for it. Now, of course... As soon as we hear physical praying, that sounds scary to us because often there's plenty of stories where we've prayed for people, Dave, but they didn't get physically healed from prayer. What about that? I say, yeah, I've experienced that. And in that mystery and disappointment, even in that, it's always an invitation to process more deeply with Jesus. But I want to live my life as an ambassador of Jesus. And that means that we're still going to pray for the sick and to drive out demons. And just like, look, if I came into this room and turned on the light switch and no lights came on, I wouldn't just go say, well, there must be no power in the world. That's ridiculous, right? When I don't see the answers to the prayers for healing, I'm not just going to assume that Jesus is not alive or he's a liar. I'm going to assume that, hey, there's something up with my connection to the power that is broken, or there's something else going on that I might not be aware of. And I'm going to seek out all the ways I can to fix that connection. So I'm going to share with you a story, keep it really real. Just this past YAF meeting, like two Thursdays ago, with some folks sitting in the room right here. After our Bible study, we did our Bible study. Uh, but after that, we opened it up for anyone who needed prayer. And we shared some prayer requests. But I, I wanted to make sure that we weren't just going to be, like, just spiritual about it. I said, hey, does anyone need physical healing? Is anyone experiencing some physical pain right now? I wanted to challenge us into that. 
So right as he said that, it was awkward for a little bit. But then, like, Alice and Adrian, they kind of, like, both raised their hands. Uh, they were experiencing physical pain. Uh, Alice, in her shoulders, there was a point where she's telling us, like, it just hurt to just even move her neck. And Adrian in his legs where he could, like, barely stand without a lot of pain. So we asked them about their pain levels. And they said it was on the higher level, like, six, seven, eight. I was like, oh, okay. So what we did was I just split up the group. We just split up and said, everybody, we're going to lay a hand on either one, Alice or Adrian. And we're all going to pray all at once. So we just prayed. Right? All of us. And then we stopped and we said, hey, how you guys feeling? And they're like, take, take a little bit better. But um, pain is still there. Like, oh, okay, all right. So we could have just stopped right there. But we're like, let's pray again. Let's pray again. So then we did it again. We prayed another round. And then after that, Alice was able to kind of, she's like demonstrated moving her arm around a little bit. And then Adrian, like, he stood up and he's like, I actually really feel better. And we're like, yes, it's awesome. It doesn't mean there was no pain, but it was better just within, that was just like five minutes. I share that because, look, praying for physical healing is, is not just for pastors. It's for every disciple of Jesus and he gives you that authority if you're a follower of Jesus. Did you know that? The devil lies to you by telling you you do not have that authority. That's just for special people. Jesus says, in his authority, you have that. So, how do, how do we do that? How do we do that? That means when somebody tells you they're sick, when somebody tells you they got some physical issue, take a step of faith. Ask the people about their physical issue. And I want you to be specific Specific about their pain levels. Okay, there's nothing magic in that. The reason why is we're not keeping it general. We're getting specific. What this does is it helps us to focus on what to pray for as well as it raises faith for us. that God does heal. Then we ask how are they feeling to check on how God is moving as we pray for them. All right, kind of checking in with them. And this part, which I have learned is the most crucial where we don't always step into it is pray again. Do you hear me? Not just pray once. Pray again. I've said this before, but I'll keep saying it. Most healing that I've experienced is very rarely that it's instantaneous right there, right? It happens sometimes. Some of you guys have experienced that. But at least with, with my experience, that's not how I've experienced it. Most healing, physical healing that I've seen, it's, it's a process. It's a couple rounds of prayer. And if Jesus, right, if Jesus had to pray twice for this guy to uh, get fully healed of his blindness, he did do that. That's the one where, like, he spits in the ground, that one. He does it twice. So if Jesus does it twice, surely we could pray more than once. That's what I think. All right. Now, okay, maybe it's not physical healing. Oftentimes, you know, when we're interacting with people or friends, family, they may look fine on the outside. But what they actually need is inner healing. What, what do I mean by that? That's healing of the mind, the heart, and soul. What is that? Sounds kind of weird, Dave. Okay. Often, 
let's think about often in our relationship with God, what we really need for God to really be alive to us is for us to know, God, give me some sort of sign. Show me that you see me. Show me that you know me. I'm not just talking to the air. That's a lot of times where we need healing. We just need to know, God, are you there? Do you know what I'm going through? So someone, uh, as I think about that, how do we pray for inner healing? How do we do that for folks? I think at our church, it's by listening to God. By listening to God. Some, some of you guys have kind of heard a sense that sometimes. Uh, someone who's done this that has been a model, uh, many people do this. Someone that comes to mind is uh, Lucy, our sister Lucy right there. Uh, what's awesome is, like, God tells her some crazy stuff, but, like, she does it. That's why I think God keeps, like, talking to her. She just shared with me this story one time that she was at a train station praying for this woman. And, you know, she just sensed God telling her, uh, tell this woman that her pain is not in vain. Right? And that the reward, keep on finding, the reward is close. I was like, okay. Lucy doesn't know this woman. She just prayed that over her. And then this woman says, told, tells Lucy, actually, the state's taken away my children. And I've been trying to recover them. But it's been so hard for me. I was just ready to jump in front of the train right here. We never know. We never know what anyone's going through. But God does. And God speaks to people if we would just listen. And if we listen and speak those words, you could be a part of literally saving people's lives. So the practice of listening is, is you just start little steps. Right? It, it's not always super clear. It's, it's through practice. Even as you see in Lucy, she's practiced that. So that means try it. Right? Lucy, when she gets up, she prays, who do you want me to bless today, God? Or, or a simpler one, God, what is it that you want me to do today? Right? And just practice that. That's what I did. I started off in those steps. And I've been able to hear more clearly from God more and more since then. But it starts with those little steps. All right. I'd like to call up the worship team at this time. Most of how I learned uh, to do physical, be a part of physical healing and inner healing, it came as I did it. Uh, I've experienced it through you all even. We learn by doing in the kingdom of God, not just talking about it. So we always engage people with a posture of love. We never manipulate. We never fake. We know that Jesus is near. And we pray in faith that Jesus is going to back us up. And figure it out, even if it won't go according to our plan. But the key thing is we persevere. We give our lives to God and continue to give it for his mission. And then when we see Jesus heal, we celebrate that. And then when someone experiences physical or inner healing, that good news that Jesus is near, when they see that, it opens them up to hear a little bit more about this Jesus. Every moment of Jesus demonstrating his love and power is a moment to renew our commitment 
to go and help more people into that. So no matter where you come from, what systems you live under, what your life story is, if you experience Jesus in ways that confirm that you know Jesus knows you, he's come close to you, that he has power to right wrongs and to deal with the suffering, and you are liberated. Let's stand and let's respond to the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you say that your kingdom is near and you